Hello everyone and welcome to The Kennel, a podcast about the team of the Mighty West, the Western Bulldogs. My name is Josh Lloyd and I'm here joined as always by Simon Smith. Simon, how are you going? Yes, good thanks Josh. Obviously it was a terrific game uh, yesterday and um, we'll, um, we'll try and discuss as much as we can. Yeah, it was, uh, I wouldn't say terrific game, I would say it was the the best game of the season. We say, we've say said that a lot so far since starting this podcast. The game against Port Adelaide, we are classified as the game of the season. The game against Adelaide um, would have been close to that as well. There was probably another one thrown in there, but that um, that that performance up there against a team that hadn't lost up there, against us coming off that that you know, really disappointing performance against Geelong, and, and to come out and get the victory in the way that we did, it um it, it's it's hard sometimes being a Bulldogs fan because you don't really know what to expect you're thinking okay next season maybe 2017 is our, our premiership chance yeah we, we we played well we've taken the top teams close you know, we got close to Hawthorne we performed admirably against the Giants against Geelong we got thoroughly beaten but inaccuracy probably kept us you know from contending in that game and we were you know we had plenty of opportunities in that game but never able to get over the line but to get over the line against a team that was flying that was second on the ladder equal first almost and to do it up there when they haven't lost it just makes you think well maybe maybe there's a chance it's real it's real tough sometimes and of course we are I better mention the scores we are talking about the game from Saturday where Sydney Swans were 11-13-79 and the Bulldogs got over the line in the last 20 seconds courtesy of a Jason Johannesson goal 13-5-83 um, what, what do you make of this win in terms of the in terms of the season, Simon? Like, how does this place us? Does this put us as genuine top four contenders? Um, I mean, it does give us a, an excellent chance. Um, considering, I mean, obviously every week, you know, teams can beat anyone, but we do have a fairly good run coming up with home games against Richmond. Obviously, an away game against it's a home game up in Cairns, followed by home against St Kilda so I mean this game was obviously pretty pretty cri- critical obviously because it's so close up the top so um, I mean it was yeah I mean obviously there's a big risk in terms of you know having three guys in that have played you know very very little in the past you know several months so um, obviously they came off and um, it, it, yeah I mean it, it probably does set us up if we can sort of win all the games we're supposed to win yeah, exactly. You mentioned we've got some winnable games coming. Richmond, uh, Gold Coast. We've got um, Essendon still to play. We've got another one against Collingwood coming up as well. So we've got, you know, I think out of eight, we've got eight games left. If we, if we win four of them, we equal what we did last season. But we've got a real chance to, to win six. Maybe you go to seven, but there's a game against Geelong in there. We do have to travel to Fremantle as well, who are playing a little bit better than when we saw them earlier on in round one. It is in Fremantle that ends the season, but there's a real chance that we we get to 16, potentially 17 wins. Maybe that's looking a little bit too optimistically at it, but it, it does set us up. It's tremendous for the belief of the players, for the belief of the coaching staff, for for everybody, and to see the the players returning. I think. And we know that we've got other guys on the way back soon that we'll get Kobe Stevens back into the mix pretty soon. He had 36 touches, I think, this week for Footscray. Um, we'll have Luke Dalhouse back in one to two weeks. We got Wood back. We got Johannesson back. We got Clay Smith back. Um, you would think that, and look, plenty of people won't think this, but I still think that Tom Boyd is probably in our, in our best side, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see him in the team next week because Redpath, um, he struggled mightily this week, and he's been... 
He's been absent for probably the last two weeks. I would say against Geelong, he was he was pretty poor as well. But this week would have to have been his his worst performance. So interesting to see what they do there. But you can see the team rounding into into full strength. And with those additions to the back line, it just makes that run and carry. And we were able to actually hit targets and and be more efficient moving forward, which is something that we haven't been able to say for for the majority of the season, really. And for once, a team's another team's inaccuracy cost them. The Swans 11-13, whereas we were able to do it really accurately, going 13-5. and five. And that's the difference, to sort of pull one out that way rather than being the team that kicks so poorly like we did against Geelong, like we did against Hawthorne. You know, to get a day where you actually enter the forward line accurately and, and convert it, it makes such a difference when when things aren't quite going your way as a, as they weren't earlier on, and then we had that uh, magnificent third quarter to really uh, turn things around. Let's start now by just talking about those five players that came in and analysing what they meant to the team. Let's talk the uh, the match winner, Jason Johannesson, who who kicked that goal. What were your thoughts when uh, first of all when Bontempelli passed it, and then JJ had to go full stretch to take the mark, and then when he was lining up, were you confident of him kicking the goal? Did you think Bont, what are you doing? How did you view that that last you know, minute of play? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was great composure by Daniel. Then obviously Bont to get it to Johannes. I thought it was, I mean, it was very good awareness by the two of them to sort of make that little chip because Bontempelli was probably going to be fifty metres plus at the end of the game. He was pretty wrecked, so. That sort of extra 10 metres and probably, you know, is the difference between obviously winning and losing. So I was confident, but, you know, you never know because his first game back, he might have been just completely, you know, he would have obviously been as nervous as hell. So, um, but, you know, just to see the, the look on the coaches' faces in the room, in the box and the players, um, it's, yeah, I mean, to go up there, especially, obviously, as you mentioned, Sydney's home ground advantage is immense and, it's obviously not as much space as grounds like, you know, obviously had really normally plays. So um, it was, yeah, it was obviously extremely impressive. Well, our, our last two victories, you know, we hear all this talk and, and there's no offence to people, but there's a lot of stupid people uh, out there who make the comments, oh, the Bulldogs can only win Eddie had after we played our first seven games. You guys play on the road. Well, the last two victories have come at Port Adelaide and, and at Sydney. So you can't get much better in terms of travelling than that. Like that sort of yeah, builds up a bit more confidence externally. I'm sure the boys don't need that internally, but it just shows everyone, look, what are you guys talking about? Like, okay, we played seven games, and then we've played a, yeah, a million away from home. We won at the MCG twice. We've won in Sydney. We've won in Adelaide now. We've still got to go to, to Cairns. We've still got to go to Perth, and, and we're big chances to win there as well. But Johannesson, you know, when Bont made that kick to him, I was a bit like, oh, Oh, is he going to take the grab? Yes, he did. Um, but coming back after so long out, Johannesson didn't miss any of his explosion. Like, he still looked as fast as anything, and there was no tentativeness in that hamstring. He was accurate with his kicking. He had 20 touches. He had four tackles. He was he was impressive you know, throughout the game. Four rebound 50s. He, was, he went at 85% efficiency. He played 83% of the game. It was like he was... It was like he'd never missed, and to come straight back in and perform that performance. At the start of the season, I said that he was our most important defender um, and he, we were going to miss him more than missing Bob Murphy. And I think that that's probably played out at, at the moment that he is, yeah, look, Wood's there, Boyd's there, Morris, they all do great things. But I think what Johannesson does is basically irreplaceable. Oh, completely. I mean, you sort of notice it. Obviously, you, you do 
you do notice it, but you notice it obviously more when he does come back and obviously hasn't played since round four. And his first few games of the year, he would have been, you know, completely in the All-Australian team. He was playing that oh, yeah. well. So, he'd have, he'd have um, four or five Brownlow votes in those first two rounds. Oh, yeah. He, he, I mean, he was just amazing. I mean, he just had so much confidence. He was just taking players on and running down the ground. And, um, and to, you know, obviously 85% disposal in the first game back is pretty damn good, I would have thought. And um, considering it's not probably his ideal ground in terms of a, a smaller size ground in um, Sydney. So, you know, obviously he's going to get better from here, presuming he stays, you know, fit and healthy. And um, we, yeah, we will see how he, how he progresses. Easton Wood was back uh, as well, back as a captain on the side. And he was, no, I wouldn't say that he was spectacularly good, but he didn't do anything poorly. I thought he was he was good at what he did. He, he took a few marks. He made a few key um, yeah, intercept punches. Um, he was quite efficient with his disposal, and he just really helped to solidify. And what it does is it takes a lot of um, pressure off some of those other defenders, say like Shane Biggs, who was an, who able you know, to float forward, kick that early goal, and, and be a little bit more creative and loose with Wood back there, providing more of that you know, stability and let's be honest, Wood is almost like a a guy who can cover two players by covering his own man and then, you know, with his ability to read the ball but by dropping into that spot and, and taking um, taking you know, intercept marks, he really enables the other guys to loosen up a bit and we saw that with Biggs, we saw that with Johannesson, that they can run off, they can do what they need to do because his ability to cover space and cover a man as well and, you know, wasn't spectacular but, you know, did exactly what it needed to do in terms of team structure as well, I think. Oh, completely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, well, as, as I mentioned earlier, it was, um, we had obviously Easton Wood, who's been sort of in and out this year, unfortunately, because of his hamstring and and Johansson. So, plus, obviously, Clay Smith coming back for his first game in 12 months, which was, you know, obviously inspirational for, you know, obviously his teammates, considering the amount of, you know, knee reconstructions he's gone through. So, um, obviously, at the start of the game, you can probably say it was, a risk because you'd have three guys that were probably underdone, but they did seem to um, get through the game quite com- I mean, comfortably. But they were obviously performing as the game went on, and um, it was—I'm not sure if it was a smaller ground, but obviously the coaches had a lot of confidence in them, and so they should be um, congratulated for that selection. Yeah, so Smith came in, had 16 touches, had, had his you know, pretty standard at this stage, six tackles, and filled that. Uh, Dalhousie sort of role that yeah, forward midfielder um, who's just the uh, you know, the hardest player on the field basically whenever he's out there he showed no sort of um, and no hesitance no reticence to get into a, a collision to to throw himself on, into a, a, a tackle and it, it's pretty clear to to us watching that the players really gravitate towards him and they really yeah, value him as a teammate and just his presence being out there and throwing his body out there, it probably adds it probably adds a goal a game just having a guy that the players love that much and then he's also a positive contributor in his own right and he he can be a really good player and he is going to be a real key part of this team assuming assuming that he his knee holds up which it's not something you can guarantee at this point but he was he was great as well the other two guys that came in we had Lucas Webb come in for his first game for the season I didn't think he did a huge amount but he also didn't do anything wrong I didn't think well how did you view what what Webb was able to do yeah pretty much I just sort of 
solid, which has probably been the um, standard in terms of guys that have come in, whether it's him or Bailey Williams and these sort of guys. I mean, they've come in and sort of done what they had to do, whether they're not dominating or not. So um, I thought he you know, looked quite composed and he, I thought he did well. Yeah, I thought he put his body on the line well. Nice. Um, he had a, had a really key play in the um, third quarter in the middle with a, with a nice little uh, interception-type tackle that, that really turned the ball over and got us going when the, the Swans were breaking out. Um, I thought he looked good when he moved into the midfield a bit as well. I thought he looked I thought he looked really good. And whether he holds his spot in the team remains to be seen, but nothing about what he did was poor. Uh, Will Minson's probably the, the one that we need to talk about because... Lots of people clamouring for Minson to get back into the team all season, all last season. It was his first game for the year. He kicked a key goal to put us up by three goals in the end after that 50-metre penalty. He had full confidence in him kicking that goal. But as per usual, a pretty standard Minson game. Six touches only, one mark. 24 hitouts is great, and he did a fair bit of work in the centre square. But how did you view Minson's game? Is it enough to keep him in ahead of Campbell? Oh, I suppose they probably will for another you know game or two, I suppose, at least. Um Obviously, you know, he was solid without setting the world on fire, um, which has probably been the staple of most of the Ruckman this year. With him and obviously, I mean, Tom Campbell didn't, you know, drop off much considering what he'd been doing during the year. So, I mean, they've all been pretty solid without being spectacular. So, I wouldn't have thought, considering such a great win, I would have thought he'd be safe for a few weeks. Yeah, no, look, he wasn't, there was nothing really poor about him, but he just doesn't get around the ground very quickly. He doesn't provide much of an option. Um, when he gets an opportunity to kick a goal, he's he's reliable, but he just doesn't take enough marks to do that. But from what he did today, he was, uh, on today yesterday, he was really good. Uh, Roughhead was, was really good in the ruck as well. That is the five players that came in that we went through. Let's go through our three two ones now, Simon, for the game. And this was a this was a tough one for me to give my three two one for. I'll go, we'll go with you first. Who did you give the three two one to? Okay, I gave um, one to Tony oh, Tom Libertore. Um I thought just his third quarter in terms of um, the difference it made in terms of the couple of goals he kicked and just the um, just the impact I thought it had on the game. It just sort of, I mean. We still played well in the first half, but I thought, you know, we obviously hit six in the third quarter, and I thought he was instrumental in helping us sort of swing things around. So he'd be the one. Uh, two, I would have given to Matthew Boyd. I thought he was pretty consistent throughout the um, throughout the game. He seemed to use – I thought he used the ball quite well. Um, obviously, his you know, experience and all that sort of thing was instrumental down back. So, uh, and the three, I'd give to uh, Marcus Bonampelli. Um, another three votes, I thought – Consistently throughout the game, he was, you know, just obviously his, his normal self. Obviously, had not just the last pass of the game to Johannesson to set up the winning goal, but uh, along with Liver, the third quarter where he had 13 possessions and was, um, I just thought, instrumental in terms of us getting back into the game and obviously gaining a decent sort of lead for a little while there. So um, that'd be my three, two, and one for yesterday. Now, first of all, look, I, I didn't put Liver into my three, two, one. He was close. I did have him there, then I did uh, delete him out. Did you take any points off for his haircut? <laughs> that was amazing, wasn't it? That was awesome. <laughs> it was something. It was a little Kramer esque. It was it was quite high, quite uh, quite high and tight. It was uh, it was interesting. I didn't I didn't hate it, but um, yeah, his third quarter was absolutely tremendous, and he just willed the ball out of contests and just even in the last quarter, he just got his hands on the ball and and got it out. My 3-2-1, I didn't give Liber a vote. I put Matty Boyd in as number one. He was pretty solid. He still has issues to me with indecisions. 
when, when he gets the ball almost without fail when he has a, a, a mark he will go one way stop go back the other way and the umpire will have to call play on almost every single time that happens no matter where he is in the field he, he'll get credit the umpire will say yep take your kick he'll fake and go left and come back and go right and that happens almost I would have to say 80% of the time and it is frustrating I don't know if it's a deliberate ploy or if it's just his decision making you know, speed has dropped it he was reliable he tackled hard he, he was really physical he rebounded the ball a lot he got a stack of it he reads the ball really well but at some point and we saw that happen a couple of times over in the Geelong game that some of his disposal can lead to just horrific turnovers. It didn't happen in this one, but it's, it is something that still weighs on my mind. I gave two votes to Lockie Hunter. I thought he was great. I thought he was hard at it as well. He was all over the place. He started off the game really well. I thought just getting the ball, basically what he's done all season. He ended up with 31 touches. He took eight marks, had four tackles and five inside 50s. Played a little bit more of a forward role this week where previously he'd be been more of that guy who would take it out of the, the back 50, but he was more playing forward of center. But still got him got himself five clearances. He was all over the all over the park. I thought he was great, and I have to agree with you for three. It has to be Bond at this point. He is just an absolute monster in everything that he does. Twenty nine touches, he took six marks, but he led the team in tackle. Oh, no, he didn't. Sorry, Liber had nine. He had eight tackles. He also chimed in with two hitouts. He had six inside fifties. He cleared the ball out of defensive fifty as well. He had yeah, three clearances. He he did everything, and yes. He took two marks inside 50 as well, which was um, which was highest on the team. And when you have a midfielder that does that, extracts the ball, clears the ball, and does damage in space, he is invaluable at the moment. And he's he, I won't say he's going to be a star, because he's already a star, and he should be in contention for all Australian, at least in that 40-man squad. I don't think you'll get it get there, but what he does and the potential of what he's going to be able to do in the future is is really. It's really exciting to see a, a player who, who can be put anywhere and turns it on for a quarter and can literally swing a game. And you know we had like a 25-point margin turnaround in that third quarter, and you'd have to attribute it basically all to him and Libba. Well, not, not all, but a fair chunk of it, literally just grabbing the ball and just rest, wrestling it away from them and wrestling momentum back to our side and being just monsters that are unstoppable. And he's the kid's 20 years old. There's so much to come from him and it's it's pretty exciting and on our on our uh, kennel best and fairest he would have got three votes pretty much every week I'd say Smitty oh yeah I mean since I can't remember which round it is but he's obviously had multiple uh, 30 plus possession games where he's been clearly the standout player and um, considering um, as you said his age and inexperience just past 50 games it's um it's pretty amazing in terms of what he, you know, what he, how good he could become because he's obviously improved so quickly at this point that, um, you know, it's great that him and Liber and you know Mitch Wallace and these guys, it's you just give him a couple of years and obviously you know, and obviously we've got Tom Boyd coming back, um, obviously in the next probably week or two, considering uh, determining on obviously his um, suspension and how long that lasts. So you could, you could pretty safely say that the club is ahead of where they would have thought they were two years ago considering all the what happened then so um you could probably you know put a pretty safe statement to say that um you know bond and pally libba etc are going to sort of lead the way for the next god knows how many years yeah a lot of years let's hope let's move on to our unsung hero simon who was your unsung hero for this week this week i gave to uh lin jong um i thought Considering 
his sort of status in the team has been very in and out this week, um, this year. I mean, um, you know, definitely not a first, you know, guaranteed selection. Considering there were five changes um, this past weekend, obviously, you know, it's a good thing, good for him that he stayed in. And um, I thought he was really consistent. He didn't, you know, he was probably his, you know, his best version of himself. He had twenty possessions. Um, you know, he had three tackles. He's disposal was pretty reasonable um, but I just thought he competed for the, for the four quarters, kicked a goal which obviously was pretty helpful in terms of a low scoring game so um, I don't think he gets much attention so I would have thought he was the unsung hero for this week. Yeah he was um, a guy that I'm, I'm fairly critical of at times for his lack of awareness lack of peripheral vision, lack he gets caught holding the ball just way too many times for a guy that doesn't get the ball that often but his hardness is never in question. But his decision-making, his awareness was fine in this game. And I thought he was he was really good and did everything he needed to do. And you would think that he would have to retain his place in, in the team after that sort of performance. Nothing nothing he did stood out as being really negative at all. And sometimes when we when we get wins, we look at the team and it's hard to find negatives. Now, there were, there were quite a few negatives, I thought, in this game despite the fact that we, we took on the second-best team at their home ground and got over the line. But there were still a few players who, who were poor and below average, but uh, Jong definitely wasn't one of those. My unsung hero goes to Mitch Wallace. I think I've m- mentioned him before, but he was, much like Libba, just extracting the ball in a, in a terrific fashion. He was getting the ball out. He had 25 touches of his own. He took four marks. He had four inside 50s as, all, as well, which is something he has added to his game being that sort of link-up guy across the front of the center square. He had six clearances also. He went at 80% efficiency. Um, he, he's playing a little bit of a role as a small forward. He took some key key grabs. He took a really key contested mark down in defensive 50 at one stage as well and just continues to get it done without any sort of hype, without any sort of flash or fanfare. He can kick goals. He can lay tackles. He's not the fastest player, but it doesn't matter when you're as, when you're as smart as him and you've got the tenacity to get the ball out and once again he was able to provide just a a ton of link up for for our team moving forward across that half forward line and through the center and extract it out for guys like Bontempelli and especially Hunter and McRae to do what they need to do on the outside I thought that he was uh he was really fantastic really I completely agree I mean you couldn't count many games this year and past years obviously the last couple of years he's been exceptional but there's not many games where he doesn't perform, whether or not he's get, you know, getting a truckload of possessions. He's consistently getting sort of between 20 to 25, as was the case yesterday. And, um, you know, there's so many options in the midfield that guys that are just hell-bent in terms of just not, just refusing basically to, um, to give up contest and um, you know, just pouring in and week in, week out. And um, they obviously don't get the audits like himself or Liam Picken and even Jack McRae but um, you know without them you're probably not going anywhere yeah look Pickett and McRae were great again this week McRae um it really is is such a key piece of the, of the structure of the way that the team works in terms of his kicking ability he's and I talk about Lin Jong having no ability to see outside of you know a 10 degree window in front of him like McRae's vision is almost a fish eye lens basically he can see at any sort of angle he, he he'll get criticized for chippy around the corner kicks but when you've got the ability to see something that's happening 90 degrees to your right 
as opposed to only having tunnel vision for what's ahead of you it really opens up the entire field and he does that pretty consistently and, and it's exactly what he's good at i thought he was he made a a pretty dumb little right foot chip kick at, at one point in the in the third quarter running forward that we had a real opportunity to, to put another goal on the board but aside from that he was um he was great at it again let's talk about some of the players who i think struggled we talked about redpath already he just was missing he just i feel like he was and he's this is the problem that he's had throughout his career he'll have games where like against Port Adelaide where he came out in that first quarter and just balls out, marking, crashing packs, leading up, being in the right position. And there's games like this and against Geelong where it, it feels like he is never in the right position. He is never leading. He doesn't draw any attention. He's got no gravity as a uh, as a tall forward that draws players towards him. He just, anytime they went forward, it like he wasn't there. I don't know where he was. He just... There was a stage through about quarters two and three where it just felt like he wasn't even he wasn't even on the on the field at all. I don't know what to make of what Ridpath did, and if Boyd's suspension is is over, I I can see a change coming. How did you view Redpath, and how do you view his future in the team? Yeah, he did. He definitely did struggle. He obviously wasn't you know, how he was sort of two or three weeks ago. Um, yeah, I don't know whether it was due to the fact that being a small. I mean, he has been leading a lot better this year, and that's how he's been generating a lot of his sort of marks you know, on the leading to kick up in 30, 40 metres. So you didn't see a lot of that. Obviously, you can attribute a fair bit of that to Sydney and the way they set up their you know, defensive um, pressure and all that sort of stuff. So um, I don't know whether it's confidencing or not, but I'd be yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if Tom Boyd's not back in very soon because uh, the coach has mentioned you know several times when he's been speaking to the media that he's pretty keen to get Tom Boyd back and that he's in our best 22. So um, you'd imagine it'd be pretty hard to have sort of the two of them up there sort of um, at the one time, plus, you know, having a, whether it's a mincing or someone just dropping down um, as an extra tool. So, yeah, I, I don't know whether it's this week, but you know, probably soon you'd say you might make way for Tom Boyd. Yeah. Boyd gets an, a massively unfair amount of criticism and that incident with him and Zane Cordy I think has obviously been um, much publicised throughout the week. From what I understand is it's not a huge deal. It's not necessarily exactly the way that it was portrayed in the media. It doesn't seem to be any sort of lingering issues in terms of resentment between the players. Apparently they're like almost best mates and they, they're hanging out with each other all the time. So I don't know if you've heard anything specific on that, Simon, but I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. But anything involving Tom Boyd is going to be blown up. The salary will always be brought into it. He'll be the butt of every joke. But without fail, if he's in the team, you would get two defenders on him without fail. And it hampers his individual performance, but it also opens up the forward line to a, a massive amount because he's there and they can kick it to him every time and he will not get outmarked. He won't mark many of them, but he won't get outmarked and he'll bring it down to ground and he takes two defenders away and that leaves Stringer, that leaves Dixon, it leaves whoever else is down there, Dunkley, whoever else is down there to get that space and Redpath just doesn't demand that attention. He's not a guy that they can kick it up and have two guys on him and him compete and Boyd's still young. He's going to develop into a really good player. But the pressure, the scrutiny on him, and, and it comes from our supporters as well who, who don't view what he does very highly. I think he's he's key to what, what we're able to do. And he will open up things in a... You know, I talked about gravity before, but he just has gravity of drawing players 
towards him as like a an, an orbiting body of people just coming towards him the ball coming towards him and then enabling space to be created around him and that's exactly the way they should be using him and I don't think that Redpath can do that so I can envisage a change especially after he kicked four this week as well for Footscray Oh definitely I mean form you know you, you want to go kick guys in form and obviously four goals considering the week he had is a, you know, is a pretty good effort and um I mean, he's obviously picked number one in the draft for a reason. He's obviously, you know, he's got a lot of ability. So, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, he can sort of get an extended sort of run in the, in the team. And obviously he went out through injury, you know, over yeah. a month ago. So um, he was interviewed, I saw on the pre-show this morning, and um, he said it was almost best mates and they actually lived together. So Yeah, exactly. You know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought there'd be, you know, too much sort of to worry about. Uh, going forward, yeah, no, they they are legit best mates, and they do spend as much time as possible with each other. There's, it was just a, 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 you know what it reminds me of, and a lot of people might not have this, um, might not be able to get the analogy, but I know you will, Smitty. It reminds you a little bit of the Blake Griffin um, punch on in the NBA this season, where you know he punched his best mate, who was the uh, the trainer from the team, ended up breaking his hand and was out for weeks at it. But it was a bit like that, just general um, piss taking between mates, and it it got a bit out of hand, and that happens with people all over the place and it's there's no maliciousness intended it was just um it was a friendly wrestle between two kids who are 20 years old and i don't think there's anything really to be concerned about i wouldn't be well i'm definitely not concerned because i know a little bit of the inside story to it and i'm not not overly concerned with um with anything about it to be honest and yeah he he is a key he's a quality player for this team i want to talk tory dixon he looks I know he just re-signed a new contract. He looks in a lot of trouble to me. I don't, and I know he had a hampered preseason with the uh, osteitis pubis. Um, but he just... For a start off, he's missing goals, which is you know, when his job is to be the sharpshooter, he's missing kicks. That's a concern. He's just... He's playing out of position. He's moving up the ground, which is a real concern because he's terrible at it. He's really below average at playing anywhere outside the, the Ford 50. He gets caught too quickly. He... He's slow and he gets outmatched really, really easily in the um, in the Ford Fifty at the moment. I don't think you can really drop him, especially with no Dalhouse out there. But he's not an automatic inclusion to me at the moment. Yeah, it's it's a funny one. I mean, obviously you mentioned he had a tough preseason, and um, obviously everyone says that's you know that, that sets you up for the year. So um, yeah, he has missed goals in the last sort of two or three games, which he, he normally would kick sort of blindfolded really in the last couple of years and um, just looking at his stats there he's played 10 games this year for 14 goals so you know that's definitely down in production last year he hit 50 goals after the final on the satellite so um, I'd probably I mean personally I'd persist with him because I think I think you have to um, yeah I, I just think we haven't got any sort of other players similar to him exactly. in terms of he's, he's a natural goal kicker and yeah I, I agree with keep him away from the midfield as much as possible because I don't think he's terribly quick or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd keep him in the side for now. Jakey Stringer had just nine touches, but he does what what he does. He kicked two quick goals in that second quarter, had another one that was um, taken away after that burst through the centre early on, on when he ran too far and uh, the Sydney player smashed into the goal umpire. And one of those was was a a great goal where we shrugged that tackle. He is not as impactful as he was last season but when Boyd returns I think he will get back because it's all about that spacing and he will be able to wreak havoc and 
he's doing what he needs to do. I've got no real concerns with what, what he's doing. Yes, he's a little bit out of touch, but he's still providing a lot of burst play. And you know, in terms of we talk about Bontempelli and uh, Libertore being able to, to switch that game onto our terms in the third quarter, well, Stringer's got that ability to do it, and we saw it in that second quarter just to stop us getting blown out, which was a potential at the start of that second, to kick those two quick goals and just say, whoa, here we are, guys, we're, we're hanging in here. Um, it's exactly what you need. So I'm not too concerned about him only having the nine touches. You'd like him to do a little bit more, but it wasn't to be. Marcus Adams, it, it's you're going up against Buddy Franklin. Like, he did it an okay job like Franklin kicked five but he also kicked two in the last five minutes so I thought he held him okay there's only so much you can do when you're taking on Buddy let's be honest so I thought Adams held his ground as much as you could expect a player playing his 10th game of his career to do how did you view Adams's game on um, on Franklin and any thoughts on Stringer uh, yeah I mean similar thoughts on Stringer he's you know, one of those rare players that has been a sort of match winner whether he's getting 10 possessions or 25. He's obviously got the capability of changing his game in 10 minutes. Uh, you know, obviously, one of his goals yesterday was one of the best he's probably kicked in his career. So, um, you probably like him to get a little bit more of the ball, but considering the, the way the game is played, it probably wasn't conducive to that. Um, Adams, yeah, he's not getting obviously the amount of touches he was early in the year, and definitely, um, you know, being one on one against Buddy at the SHG is. Pretty tough, yeah, as you mentioned. He's played 10, 11 games now, so I thought I thought he, you know, he did his best. I mean, I thought he did all right. You know, Buddy's Buddy's one of the best players, you know, most one of the best players we've ever played. So, um, you know, kick five four, he, could, he possibly could have kicked another couple, but um, you know, considering his his age and his experience, and I don't think you can sort of fault what he's done. He also had that horrific turnover in the uh, last quarter where he dribbled that kick through the centre square and the ball went bouncing back over his head for a, a pretty comfortable goal, which was not ideal. He His disposal worries you sometimes. He, he's literally the worst handball I've ever seen in the AFL. He, he cannot hit a handball. He can hit a kick 65 metres and hit a bloke on the chest, but if you ask him to do anything finesse-like with his disposal, it's a little bit of a worry. But, and I say this all the time, if a player just sticks to what they can do like Dale Morris does like Morris can't really kick but he can hit a bloke up from 35 who's got a 5 metre gap on a lead and he can make that kick he's not trying to sizzle one in Matt Suckling style because he knows he can't do it and if Adam sticks to that and goes I can kick the ball further than probably anybody in the team you bomb one 65 70 metres and get it out to a one on one I've done my job but when he has to force a handball through a gap or, or a short pass there's, uh, there's concerns what do you think of Suckling's game? Um, I don't think he didn't really do a lot. I mean, 14 possessions is um, probably one of the lowest he's had since he's joined this year. So, I, I mean, he did do a couple of reasonable things, but nothing nothing specific. Um, he sort of turned the ball over a couple of times, which was, you know, not the norm for him. But I thought he was down. But, um, you know, I mean, I don't think one of those games. Going forward, it should be a lot better. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest performance. He had a couple of uh, fluffed kicks, but overall, he's uh, he's a weapon that we've we've got to learn to use. And I think we do it 
reasonably well, but we can always do it better. I've left one guy till last in this player discussion because I thought he was tremendous, and the way that he plays belies his uh, stature and belies his years, and, and that's Caleb Daniel. He is a, an absolute fixture in this team. There is zero chance of him being out of the team at any point. You would feel he's got to be up there as a top three rising star contender. He plays like he's 25 years of age. He's got some of the cleanest hands in terms of picking up a ground ball that, that we've seen. He, he laid seven tackles this week. He got 21 touches. Um, and, and once again, he, he does it at an effective rate, like 76% above average rate there. Um, set up the goal to bond, not only with a good kick, but with, with great thought process, no panic, um, great vision. And the kid's, what is he, 19, 20 years old? He, he is a, a real a real talent and just you know, to get and, and to real credit to the recruiting staff to get a guy that late because he is he is a key and if we miss him it it, it makes a difference yeah just for this year alone he's uh, averaging 20 you know you can probably pencil in every week you'd be between sort of you know 18 and 24 obviously he's average but he doesn't. It just doesn't seem like he has any down game. He's just consistent every week. And as you mentioned before, he sort of plays to his strength. He doesn't, you know, he, he's just so smart in terms of he doesn't try and, you know, hit guys 60 metres away. He'll, he'll, you know, hit targets 20, 30 metres away on either left or right foot. Um, and, you know, he's you know, played 22 games. Um, yeah, he's one of the first pick at the moment. So it has to be. Yeah, so considering we traded him for Liam Jones, that's a pretty good, pretty good deal. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it, is a, it, it is a pretty impressive. That's one of the, those ones that's, you know, and when you look back at it, it's going to look stupid. The other one that would have ended up being like that would have when we traded uh, Jordan McMahon for Kellen Ward. That's a, obviously we don't have Ward anymore, but in the end we got Jordan McRae, not Jordan, Jordan McRae, Jackson McRae in exchange for Kellen Ward. So we ended up getting Jordy McMahon trading him for Ward and then losing Ward and then getting McRae out of that. So that's ended up being a, a pretty fruitful uh, trade. Yeah, but that, that Daniel for Liam Jones one is a highway, highway robbery at this point. Um, Kobe Stevens, you would think that he is a fair chance to return this week. Um, maybe maybe Webb comes out, but they do have a, especially with young players who don't do anything wrong, they will like to give them two. So we might see Stevens again in the twos for one more week because I don't really see anyone that's going to come out in the midfield or in that sort of small man brigade who would give him a spot. Redpath's the other guy who, who's a chance to, to miss out, but that would be a replacement for, for Boyd if, he, if he's available. But Webb would be Webb for Stevens would be the other would be the one that I'd be looking at. Do you think it's a, a reasonable chance of happening, or do you think they go stick with Webb for one more? I think that's a reasonable chance of happening. I think Stevens, before he sort of got injured early in the year, was um, you know pretty up there in terms of being you know, a regular, which he has been for the last couple of years. But I thought he was you know, really good early in the season. So, um, but having said that, it's very hard to change a team that's had you know such a good win, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd think it'd be um, Stevens and Boyd would be probably the only two possibilities to come back in. Yeah, that's that's the only way that I'm really seeing it at this point. Obviously, we're awaiting the return of Dalhouse, who should be coming up in a couple of weeks, um, and he will obviously come 
pretty much straight back in. If Johansson was able to come back straight back in, you would think that uh, Dal- well, maybe he needs a week in the twos, but probably not. He will come back straight back in, but that's uh, still a couple of weeks away. We might see him uh, maybe after the Gold Coast game. Maybe we see him in the Gold Coast game. But we've got Richmond coming up this week on Saturday, which they were they were pretty poor against Port uh, last week. Port really hounded them with their pressure, and Port's pressure is pretty good. But we are the uh, we are the number one pressure team in the uh, in the competition. So if they wilted under Port's pressure, then hopefully we should should be able to put the stranglehold on them again this week and and get a. Uh, hopefully a comfortable victory because our last few victories have been pretty nail-biting stuff and it'd be good to actually just you know, put the clamps on someone and just smash them really early on and, and get a get a comfortable victory happening because we haven't had that since early on in the season when we were full strength and when we put those smashings down on St Kilda and on Carlton and on, and on Fremantle we were able to take our foot off the pedal for the last half in most of those games and with everyone sort of coming back let's hope we can start to get a little bit of that without having to play until the last 20 seconds with games in the balance because it it does add up and it does yes it gives players confidence and it helps work on in-game situations and tactics but it also takes a, a shitload of energy out of the body to to smash and bash for 100 minutes as opposed to do it for 65 or 70 minutes so let's hope we can get maybe a couple of games where we can um get get it in the bag a little bit earlier and these next two we have to win them first but let's hope we can do it with some uh, pretty convincing style have you got anything else you uh you want to add to it simon yeah, I mean, just for that Richmond game, you would have thought, I mean, obviously Richmond's condition at the moment, they wouldn't have a great deal to play for. So, um, I mean, apart from maybe a few individual players that might be playing for their careers. So, um, you know, hopefully we kick straight this week. Uh, you know, obviously we had some games early in the year when we had some big sort of 50-point wins, but potentially could have been sort of much higher in the kick straight. So without, you know putting a mic on the team, um, hopefully we can, as you mentioned, put, put, put a really big sort of performance through and get a big win. Yep, exactly. That'll be, uh, that's, I think that's what everyone should be hoping for. Simon, that is it for today's podcast. Now, we'll be, there hasn't been a show for the last couple of weeks. Obviously, we had the buy. There won't be a show for the next couple of weeks because I'll be, uh, I'm traveling off to uh, to do some work in the States, heading over to uh, some NBA functions over there. So I won't be here for the next two games, the Richmond and the Gold Coast game, but we'll be back after that if you want to follow us on Twitter you can do that at the kennel pod you can find me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball and Simon where can they find you on Twitter at Simon A Benedict so follow Simon there also the Facebook page which is facebook.com slash the kennel podcast you can subscribe on iTunes you can subscribe on Stitcher you can subscribe anywhere you find good podcasts and even bad podcasts and of course on blog talk radio you can uh, find the kennel over there as well so there's heaps of ways you can find it tell your friends post it on any Western Bulldogs Facebook pages message boards big footy forums wherever it is let everybody know about the podcast and uh, let us know what you think by uh, by tweeting at us uh, any thoughts you have anything you might disagree agree with anything that you think we got got right or all your thoughts just on anything about the team heading forward smitty we're done thank you for jumping on with me again today thanks josh it was a pleasure no problem thank you so much for listening everyone see ya